In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 360 this week on the show unique trapman o'brien creator of the beloved tele library is here to talk about the two shows he has in the philadelphia fringe festival fair trade a collaboration with jessica crean and undersigned which is also making its way to new york city soon Then, David Thomas will be here to help us take a deep dive into the dig, the Denver Immersive Gathering, as we announce the full schedule for this next great gathering of the immersive creative community that's coming up on November 4th through 6th, just about a month and a half away. All of this is brought to you by our Patreon backers at patreon.com slash noproscenium. And don't go away. No, no, don't. Once again... We've got something special for the backers. We'll be sending out, in fact, when I was writing this, it was past tense, it was pretense, and now it's past tense. Pretense? Stick with me. We're going to be sending out the discount code for the dig. We did. We did send it out to our backers. We sent out the discount code for the dig that rolls back the price to the pre-Labor Day rate for standard tickets, uh, of which we have just about three score left. Look for that in your inbox and on the backer feed on the Patreon now. Pause it now. If you're thinking about it, go get them. Get them before they're gone. We're also... Opening up the RSVPs for the New York City Immersive Meetup on Monday, November 14th, 2022, from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. That is happening at Gymnopedi, the location of Bottom of the Ocean, uh, which has been offering up to our backers a special... A week of tickets at a discount. That's gone on all this last week. Well, now uh, that's going to be open up to everybody along with the RSVP. Uh, But let's talk about this event first. This is a free event. Tickets are first come, first served. And the drink revenue is going to be going to us. Now, everyone listening to the show, everyone who who's looking at the show notes, you can RSVP for this now. This meetup features a live panel discussion at 8 p.m. with some of the East Coast top immersive creators, including interactive installation artist Risa Puno, Moritz Marty of Mystic Escape Rooms, interactive theater and games creator Jessica Crean, who we just mentioned a minute ago, Evan Nyden, creator of Candle House Collective's remote interactive experiences, Alex Chimaj, the founder of immersive arts venue Future Proof, and Andrew Hefner, creator of Bottom of the Ocean. The dialogue will be moderated by our own Ali Murata. Uh, I want to thank Andrew for putting this event together. I want to thank Andrew for the the Bodo offer that we've had all week long. Uh, the password, which was uh, for uh, backers only to give them exclusive first hit, that has been lifted, lifted off the uh the site now if you go to and i'm going to make sure i get this absolutely right uh for you if you go to www.boto b-o-t-o dot n-y-c slash no pro 
slash no pro. You can get in on the last of those tickets. There's, there's just a handful left uh, for the fundraiser that's happening. Uh, we get 15% of the ticket. So, uh, and uh, it's been incredible. Uh, I, I really, really, Andrew's done us an amazing solid here by putting this all together, by coming to us with the Bodo offer in the first place. And because of it, and I know, I know because of it, uh, we've had 29 new backers this week, which is the most we've had in a week in years, if not ever. And hopefully a good number of them will stick around uh, because it has brought a, a lightness to my step uh, and really got us uh, charged up here. Well, really got me charged up here because that's this is my only source of income. So here we go. The 29 new backers for no pro that jumped in this week. Hopefully I won't butcher anyone's name. You know, I'm going to do somebody's, uh, Caroline Stern, Erica, project immersive, Kirsten Siddle, Katie O'Connor, Madison Fletcher, Sarah Tedro Azizi, Dean Beckwith, Keely Herring, Michael Coates, Sandro, Andrea Ching, Gemma Nash, Patrick Mullins, Tom Canock, Travis Larchuk, Wyndham Manning, Adderley Kaur, Lynette Lee, Bluebull, Aaron, Steve, Nigel Dawson, Amanda Granger, Lucy Taffler, John Davidoff, Neil Alston, Casey Grouchy, and Saad Chima. Thank you all. I hope you have a blast at Bodo, those of you who came in for the Bodo tickets. Uh, at this point, we're closer than we've ever been to the halfway marker to sustainability. And we, we still got a lot of ways to go, but this is as close as we've ever been. We still need your support. If you're listening to the show and you're not, think about it. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. We're going to hopefully keep on getting these uh, exclusives and these discounts. If you're a creator out there and you value the work we do on the show and we, we, we help you out, uh, think about hitting us up and emailing me at Noah at no proscenium.com and saying, Hey, uh, we could do a thing. Uh, we can definitely do discounts. Uh, we can't do raffles. Patreon doesn't let us do raffles. So if you give us a couple of tickets, uh, that's not going to go to the backer pool. We can give those out on the show, but we got to just leave that open for everybody. But discounts we can definitely do uh, as backer exclusives. Those help us out immensely. Um, if you can, like I said, hit us up at patreon.com slash no proscenium. If you're already a backer or, and I, I know times are tight, the market is going down right now. We're all being shoved into a recession. Why? Hmm. Uh, that's not this show, but <laughs> I know things are rough right now. Uh, but if you can't commit financially, if you can help spread the word about what we do, uh, whether that means spreading the podcast all the stuff that's on the website, noproscenium.com, all the stuff that's on the website, everythingimmersive.com. Uh, when you find a show there and you think it looks interesting and you get a ticket, tell your friends about it and share that link. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That helps us so much. Um, or again, uh, if you, you've got a company and, and you want to work something out, Noah at noproscenium.com. Uh, thank you all. It's, it's been really incredible. Thank you, Andrew. Um, bringing hope back. And as always, a big thanks to our sustaining backers, the rock upon which we built this church, Ari Hurston, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, 
Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Baltazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all so much. This is a long segment, <laughs> the longest we've done in a while. We got two big interviews, and then I'm going to come back and talk to you about the week's big news. That's why right, we're going to talk secret cinema and today ticks. Not too much, but a little. <laughs> Unique Trapman O'Brien is the creator of the beloved pandemic-era hit The Tele-Library, a one-on-one phone experience that has delighted audiences and kept many people sane throughout the high and low era of the pandemic. He now has two shows, two new shows that have popped up, uh, Fair Trade, which is a collaboration with Jessica Cream, and that is over at the Philadelphia Fringe Festival, and also at the Philly Fringe, but uh, getting ready for something a little bit more is the show Undersigned, uh, and we're going to talk to Unique about all of that right now. Unique, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. I'm I'm pinned down in Philadelphia right now. Um, I'm I'm experiencing. We're having our own little micro COVID wave. So I'm here doing my five days of isolation, but mild symptoms, and excited to jump back in for the fringe uh, and tackle these two new shows. So tell us tell us about these two new shows. Well, why don't we start? Why don't we start with Fair Trade? Uh, and and probably probably should have Jessica here as part, part of this too, but like you know, schedules go. Uh, but what's this one, uh, and and how's it functioning? And uh, you know, is it just just for the fringe, or or maybe does it also have legs to it? Oh, definitely. This is so. This is a collaboration between Jessica and I, and I uh, have sort of joked with Jessica that I, I think in many ways I've been trying to uh, catch Jessica for a collaboration for a long time now. We we definitely had the the experience of encountering each other's work and sort of having that sense of like, oh, this person's on the wavelength. Like this is, we are having similar conversations. Um, and so this is, this is the first in a series of experiments from us that are living under this name, Fair Trade. Uh, we've, we've been toying with this now for a couple months um, and, you know, built it together before Jessica went and did a, a big round of, of conference and work uh, abroad, and so I have the kind of lucky task of sitting and getting to to spin the wheels on on this draft that we have right now. And I think we're we're both really interested in in seeing uh, what kind of legs this has to run and, and keep shifting and evolving. What's the mechanics of the piece? We were talking before we recorded, and you said you know there's there's two folks at a time. So I'm I'm curious as to the outlines of this experiment, as you call it. Yeah, definitely. So I think this this really drives home a lot of my work lately. I've I've been I've caught myself referring to it as an, an encounter, um, and this is uh, one in a series where it's very much an encounter with another participant. So the premise is you and a stranger are going to meet, and you're going to attempt to negotiate a trade, uh, and you're given instructions, and each of you are bringing some some actual items from home that you're going to attempt to make a trade with. Uh, and you are arriving, and in this iteration, what you're finding is that you arrive to one side of a screen, and you take your seat, uh, and you become aware that there is another person on the other side of the screen, but you cannot see them, and you cannot hear them, uh, and you only know that they are also a participant, they are also here to make a trade, 
uh, and you have 70 minutes. And so the question is, with 70 minutes, what, if anything, do you need to know about what you each brought? And what, if anything, do you need to know about each other in order for you to both feel that you've made a fair trade? And how can we come to any kind of shared understanding about that concept in that time? And so the experiment is sort of a nested series of experiments. We have a bunch of different exercises and reflections and um, honestly, some some really fun stuff as well that we've we've crammed into uh, this encounter. And, and the idea is to use this premise and, and this sort of heightened version of it to really let you encounter notions of not just what is fair, but also how do you arrive at fair? And and how do you arrive at a sense of what you value? And how do you arrive at a sense of how you trust another person? And what is it really that you need from this trade or in life in the broader sense? And so it's, it's meant to be uh, a place where introspection is both deeply personal, but also really tangible, right? Like there's, I think there's something that Jessica and I both find really exciting about having these heightened broad uh, reflections on big philosophical concepts, but also having like a thing in your hand, man, like, what are you going to do with this box that you brought? <laughs> um, and, and this box that the other person brought and, you know, they just jostled and you heard it move. And, and while you're sitting there wondering whether it's true that you need anything that you really have in your life, you hear some paper crinkle and you think, oh, wait, is that what they have? Is that what they brought? Right. That there's, there's this mix of kind of the, the profound and the immediate that I, I find really exciting. Um, we've taken to calling it an embodied thought experiment. And I, I hope that what we're accomplishing is something that is very much that, that is embodied, that is uh, both the opportunity to really zoom out and, and ask what changes hands every time we give and take? And, and what is it that I'm really uh, negotiating for when I'm, when I'm moving through the world and making exchanges? Um, and also to to have a really immediate sense of doing something, right? That like I'm coming here and I'm making a trade. Uh, and I think at times it feels like a game show. At times it feels like reality television. Uh, at times it feels like uh, kind of like your favorite teacher and their favorite uh, classroom demonstration that they've been put busting out for 50 years every year because they know it blows the freshmen's minds. Um, and then always, I think something that I want is that at times it feels like something entirely new and it feels like something that exists just between the three of us, which is the two of you and a facilitator. I'm curious about how you both landed on this two people, like two participants interacting with each other, particularly in light of, you know, what you're both known for, like Jessica's known for the, the piece where, you know, she's kind of giving like a, a fake TED talk. So there's an audience, you know, of, of like a number of people and you're known for the telelibrary, which is this one-on-one -on -one between you and the, the over the air participant. So you know, both of which have a, a big performance component. And here is something where it's all about what's happening between the audience members. How did you two get to that point? Yeah, you know, I think um, in some ways this is, uh, for me personally, it's me reaching back to uh, an earlier period of my work where uh, encounters were more between audience members. Although I do think that one of the fundamental things about the telelibrary is 
uh, it is a one-on-one experience and it is even, um, I, I sometimes think about this idea of like one-on-none, which is like, what does it mean mm. to arrive in a place and to to actually be uh, alone and, and to be encountering uh, responsive characters or environments or, or things that very much animate and activate you. So you're not, there's not nothing happening. You're not alone in an empty room. You're in a very full space. Uh, but this, how can I bring someone to this understanding of the idea that everything you find here and every piece of meaning that you make here is you? Um, and And that rather than this being a space that's occupied by two and you're sort of figuring out who's that other person and who's me, uh, creating deeply reflective spaces where every surface has a piece of your face on it. Um, that's very much with undersigned what's going on. Uh, but, you know, in Telelibrary, you you do have the experience of encountering other users and, and users have absolutely written themselves into the piece. So I, I think there's always been an interest for me in archive and in the way that... Uh, participants can sort of speak to each other across time. Um, for me, the, the the sort of fundamental setup of the, the two people on the screen for this iteration of the test uh, absolutely actually happened because I, uh, a, a long time ago, uh, I went on a date and it was a, a rather underwhelming date in every way. But we were walking around and at a certain point, uh, we saw these two chairs that were sort of set up facing away from each other over a pothole. Um, and it was definitely just someone's really quick and dirty way of covering a pothole. Uh, but we sort of, you know, in the way that two people do when they are, are just wandering, we said like, oh, what if we sat there? And we we sat in those two chairs. And instantly I was having such an interesting time talking to someone who I could not see. Hmm. Uh, and and we were, you know, sitting back to back. There was this uh, immediacy of their presence, but there was also just something about looking out on uh, you know the world and seeing everything but them, uh, that was super interesting. And I remember these this uh, family walked by, and uh, a man leaned forward and he said, "Sorry, is this an art project?" Uh, and at the exact same time, she said, "No." And I said, "Well, maybe. I think this has potential." <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I sort of you know perfectly fine. No no click there. But we uh, I, I walked away from that being like, I want to make something with two people sit facing away from each other or I want to make something where two people interact. And, and then that sort of, I've always talked about my work as exchanges. Um, and I, uh, had for a long time wanted to just get down and do the, the most kind of literal interpretation of that, which is like, okay, well, what if two people make an exchange with each other? Right. And, and what does that feel like? And this, this idea of the, the not seeing each other felt like an exciting place to go. Um, I, so I had, in the way that I think a lot of people do, I sort of had my little box with a couple of ingredients uh, and I, I knew some directions I wanted to go to. And I began testing something at the, the Mini Ball Festival, which is also run by the, the wonderful folks at Almanac Dance Circus Theater who run Cannonball. Uh, absolute champions. A third of the entire Philadelphia fringe is coming through their doors, uh, which is a Herculean feat. Um, but I, I did something at, at the Mini Ball, which is another festival they they threw during the Philly Theater Week, uh, and I invited a few people, including Jessica. Uh, and it was very much a Jessica-shaped trap that was like, "Hey, I have this thing, and I think you could make it so much more interesting." Mm. Uh, and sure enough, it, it was, it was sort of, it was almost like here were the two chairs. And what I said was like, will you sit in this other chair and, and experience this with me? Um, and I just, it, you know, 
as someone who has uh, been very, very exceptionally sort of uh, in, ineffably fortunate to be working this entire time, I'm also someone who has spent two and a half years in my room alone, uh, standing at my desk. And so I think I, I've got this really powerful hunger for collaboration and uh, jumping in on things. And it was so exciting to talk about, hey, you know, what does it mean to to take this idea, which is very, very nascent and just has a couple sort of like disconnected things and and to see what we can make of it together. Um, and so we spent a lot of time bigging this idea around and, and sort of tearing it apart for parts and, and reconstructing, I think, something just so much more interesting and, and something that feels very much like uh, this is a a place. This is a pothole with some chairs that I want to keep inviting Jessica and I want to keep inviting participants to return to again and again and again to see what happens. Um, you know, I I always think that the thing that draws me to keeps me stuck to interactive and immersive work to, to making responsive theater is that that really literal sense of let's see what happens. Uh, and this is this is a piece where I, I sit down every time. Um, I get to see both sides, and I just feel very uh, almost maniacally gleeful to uh, have people have wandered into this experiment together and to say, "Okay, let's see what happens." Um, and I, I think that part of what we're discovering together, what we're exploring about what it means to to meet and to make exchanges, and how we decide what we negotiate for and how we negotiate and what it is that we're trying to get from making exchanges with other people anyway. Um, that, that has proven, I know for the two of us, and I think for participants as well, it's, it's proven to be a really exciting and uh, surprising space. So let's pivot over to undersigned, which is the other show you've got in the fringe and one that has some some near-term plans beyond that. Uh, what's this one? Yeah, and now for something completely different, as they say. <laughs> um, so Undersigned is, I'm cheating by calling it new, because in truth, I've been working on it for about three years. Uh, I, I Gosh, do I love to sit on a project until it's right. And I, I also think this is something that I, I received a very lovely commission to make some work in 2019, um, created a, a kind of uh, sketch that I, I brought to life for someone. And at the time, uh, I was really sort of surprised and astonished by what it became. And I, I think I had some nascent sense that I wasn't ready to do that piece yet. Uh, Undersigned is a psychological thriller for an audience of one. Um, it is a, a very much an encounter. It is very much a piece where the participant is absolutely it's interesting because I'm, I'm pausing because I want to say in the driver's seat but I, I think this actually cracks open a broader conversation about control and about uh, you know if we define interactive as uh, many people I know in conversation have told me that they define interactive as meaning that they can change the outcome of a piece, right? And I think it's interesting because undersigned is part of a series where you absolutely can change the outcome because undersigned is a process. It is an invitation to an invocation. You are summoning something. You are you are undergoing a process. And what you do with that process is entirely at your discretion. Um, but in order to participate in the process, you are surrendering a certain amount of control. 
you you are agreeing to the terms of the arrangement, right? And so I think that there's a, a really I I one of the reasons I take to calling things responsive is that uh, to me I I don't tend to think of a conversation as being interactive per se. Um, mm. As much as I think of it as, you know, like me and a person, even if we're on a, a date, uh, you know, two perfectly nice people who just don't have much of a spark, um, you know, there's something about that that it isn't necessarily that it's an interactive experience. It's that it's responsive. It's that the two of us, by playing off of each other, are uh, coming on some third path that that is carved out between us. So, uh, undersigned, I'm audiences can hear that I'm being very um, careful with details. And this is yet another one of my pieces that I sort of ask people to leap completely blind for. Um, I think the less you know, the better, because I think that it's it's an experience that you make on your own. And, and the less I tell you, the more that you're able to bring yourself to it. Um, continuing my experiments with trying to ask what it means to make that ask of a participant uh, you know tell the libraries pay as you wish and you pay after your session with the idea being that you're i'm not going to ask you to to make a financial contribution for this until you understand what it is and until it is made because in fact your session doesn't exist yet and mm. so i obviously that began for me as a as a covid consideration it was the pandemic and i i wasn't going to be telling people um, you can't access this unless you have money. But I, I found that it became very much a part of the DNA of that piece uh, to not only to take the kind of ownership and authorship that comes from saying, hey, you made this thing. Uh, what is it worth? And what is what is the creator and the facilitator's uh, participation in that worth? Um, but also that I think the Telelibrary is very much a piece in which the invitation is to pay forward. And the invitation is is to... Uh, both give and receive, right? As your ability permits and allows. Um, and and as Telelibrary continues and, and keeps operating past 1,300 sessions, past uh, 1,000 users now, um, there's an ebb and flow to what that means. But I, I think there's really been lovely, lovely conversations that I've heard participants have with themselves about that idea of uh, when is it my turn to give and when is it my turn to take? Uh, and what does it mean if you exist in a space that tells you, however you want to play that, you're right? Um, I've completely lost the thread, but uh, it's so it's okay. <laughs> like, I, I actually want to drill in a little bit because yeah, you yeah, mentioned uh, you know a thousand a thousand participants so far in Telelibrary and this kind of pay what you can, pay it forward, you know, model, so, you know, model like a, a little bit like an elaborate tip model, uh, you know, since someone could go like, Oh, that was worth a dollar. Right. You know, like probably if you got Jeff Bezos in there, that's almost exactly what he'd do. Uh, but, but you have, it's been sustainable for you so far. It has, it has. And I, I think that it's something that I, uh, in various forums and in, in conversations with creators, I've really tried to champion, um, not necessarily, yeah, cause I can't say indisputably like, Hey, this, this works a hundred percent. But I can say that, like, I have been getting away with this for so long, y'all. For you know, and 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 like, this is this is how I pay my rent. Um, and mm. and what I have found is uh, that 
roughly the last time I did really serious analysis on this because I, I'm I'm not a data scientist, but someone let me use Excel and that was a great mistake. Um, and so when I did my first thousand calls, I really like scraped all the data that I've been collecting and and tried to 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 sit down and, and ask like, so what's happening, right? Um, and what you can see is week over week, the average contributions is this crazy sine wave that dips super low and then shoots super high and over time balances out to something that is uh, definitely doable. I, I think that one of the keys of, of this piece, obviously, is its its scale, right? Which is that it, it is something that is being solo operator. They're able to be flexible. Um, my overhead is really minimal and my prep, rather than the kind of, you know, the, I, I think about sometimes like an opera is this one example of the the iceberg where like there's this huge amount of preparation that has to happen. First, you have to train the performers and that takes a lifetime. And then uh, you've got to meet and and do the rehearsals and then we perform and we perform for as long as we can. But um, in some ways, the amount of time spent performing uh, is often dwarfed by the amount of time preparing, right? Until library instead is this piece that, began in the early pandemic. I, I spent like a, uh, a week and a half, two weeks sort of hammering out the, the basics of it. Uh, and then I launched it with the capacity to change. And it has iterated and iterated and grown and grown. And each person has not only had, I hope, a full experience, there are always those $1 people out there. Um, and, and for them, thank goodness that they were like, I don't, I don't like what's going on here. Uh, and I didn't have to lose my money over it. Uh, but they, um, you know, time over time over time, it has allowed that piece to grow and develop and to become this thing that I don't think anyone could have ever afforded to build and then launch. Mm. Um, and instead, uh, you know, the, the act of performing it is is very doable. There's a lot of maintenance work that has to happen, but that part of that is because I insist on doing everything in the most difficult way possible. Uh, I'm deeply technologically inept in ways that I think astonish my collaborators constantly. Um, there's literally, there's a, the, I always say there's a uh, piece of paper with the numbers zero through 10 in uh, half increments on my desk and there's a guitar pick that I use and I slide that up and down to keep track of credits in a session because I'm so bad at math that I, I just cannot hold in my head how many credits a person has, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm accomplishing something that could be streamlined um, and I'm, I'm able to do this and keep running it and to kind of have the bulk of the time spent on the piece be time spent with participants. Mm. who are then reimbursing and are are uh, deciding what that piece is worth and, and paying it forward, right? Um, so there's a big sine wave, but it balances out to be something that I can totally make work. Um, there are opportunities to do things that are a little, a little more financially lucrative, uh, you know, whether that be uh, private clients, universities, uh, organizations that reach out and, and we do a chunk of sessions and that's priced at a higher rate. And part of what I always say is, you know, when someone's making a private booking like that, that I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm asking for this amount and that's offsetting, uh, that, that's allowing other people to continue accessing this piece on a, a pay what you wish basis. Um, people gift the telelibrary to each other, right? And, and there are all these different ways that people can access it. Uh, and then, you know, 20% of all participants make no contribution whatsoever. Wow. They don't even, they don't even reach out to say, Hey, so sorry. Right. Um, they don't, they don't pay a dollar and say like, I wish I could do more. 
that's just zero, absolutely nothing. And it is still viable to do. It is It balances out because the other participants uh, step up and step in and are super engaged. And I, I, I think the sense I've gotten from people is that they they have a sense of not just you know, the thing that I say after the session, because of course it, it feels, I think, sometimes like an elaborate tip jar or like the longest Starbucks line you've ever been in. Um, but of course, the the conversation that I hope to being in, inspiring in a lot of my work is this idea of like, what what is this worth? What does it mean if if I ask you, uh, rather than telling you, what if, what does it mean if the way that I accomplish a certain kind of accessibility and the way that I acknowledge the risk that you're taking by participating, not just in theater, which I mean, you know, what a crapshoot going to the theater um, and not just in interactive theater, responsive theater, not just in something where I'm going to have to like be there the whole time. Like they're going to keep talking to me, right? That's a, I'm asking you to make a big risk. And so for me in my career, the way that I've been trying to meet that risk in part is by having the financial conversation. Uh, and right now, after your session, you're told to make a contribution based on uh, your experience, your support for the project, and your ability, right? And so this means that maybe you wish you could give $100, uh, but right now all you have is $10. Um, maybe you thought that was a, a $40 experience, but you think that it's a $60 thing that it exists in the world, right? That you, you know, I think a lot of the time, the experience of the tele-library is it, it's such an odd idiosyncrasious creature um, in part because I can't build a website to save my life. So it, it, <laughs> I had many people tell me that they, when they first came across it, they just, it seemed almost unbelievable that this thing existed and apparently functioned. Um, and that's all to me uh, exciting. This is this, this kind of emergent mythos of this thing Um and I, I often talk about it as it is an as of yet untragic commons. Nice. Yeah. Do you hope something similar for for undersigned, even though it's it's not a virtual experience and it, it means someone has to be there? Or are you even thinking about how this or something like fair trade could could exist beyond US performer, US facilitator? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that because that's one of the big pushes for me. Um, you know, Tele Library is very much a piece that uh, is born of me, was created of me. I, I think early on, I've it, it occurred to me that I made something where I was present for every single call, and so there was this way that uh, the system, like I, I always joke that like. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the very dumb joke that people tell that they're like, oh, you know, between me and my sister, we know everything in the world. Ask me anything. And you ask me something and I say, oh, my sister knows that one, right? <laughs> um, and there's a way that I, I I will say that like between me and this, the great all-powerful tele-library spreadsheet, I know everything that has ever happened on every call. Ask me anything you like. Oh, the spreadsheet knows that one, right? But the, the, there is like the spreadsheet is this unintelligible series of shorthands that I can translate because the tele library really does live halfway between um, me and my notes. Um, but for fair trade and undersigned, I have a huge interest in seeing what those pieces look like with other performers. And so fair trade is something that, of course, Jessica and I made. Jessica and I have both performed in Playtest this piece. Uh, I think we both bring our own voice to it, but we've also really... Um, 
something I heard from some early playtesters was that they they said like, oh, wow, I can really see both of you in there, which is very gratifying to me. But we're both super interested in, in what happens when other performers perform it. And in fact, on the 25th of September, uh, that's going to happen. We're going to have an, a third party facilitator be one of the facilitators. And, and we're really interested in, you know, I, I have an interest in my career and, and Jessica is definitely meeting me here and, and is answering a bunch of her own questions on this idea of uh, what does it mean to have other people perform these parts and, and what does it mean to have work that can scale, right? Like I can do this piece and it's just me or you could do fair trade and have 10 facilitators and be running 10 experiments simultaneously all over a space, have people trading on other sides of screens. You could be looking around and seeing all these other people making the trade that you're about to make. Um, and then for undersigned, uh, undersigned, I actually have identified a remarkable, incredible actor, McKenna Parsons, who I've worked with before, who is uh, not only serving in, uh, undersigned is technically a piece uh, generally for two performers. Um, and uh, McKenna is already serving in that other role, but this is something that we have an interest. We're working on McKenna performing the facilitator part as well and having other actors come in and perform that facilitator part. And so uh, rather than being a piece that is sort of stored locally on the hard drive of the performer, uh, it is a program that gets uh, carried by a team, right? And, mm -hmm. and I think that's something that's really exciting to me with both of these pieces is there's an opportunity for a kind of um, weird, almost uh, like <laughs> kind of inverse Henry Fordism where uh, like I can, I your participants arrive and I greet them and I get them set up where they need to be and then you start your show and then you finish your show and you greet some participants and you bring them to me, right? And that we're, we're able to uh, make the experience happen by all being a team who are, are running it and, and operating together. Um, I think for undersigned that it's, it's, you know, there's some catching up to do because I've been working on this for three years. But I also think for Undersign, I'm so lucky to have already identified a hugely talented collaborator and to uh, exist in a world filled with incredibly talented performers. And so I know there are other people out there who are doing the kinds of stuff I'm doing. Uh, and I want to greet them, meet them, bring them in and say, hey, let's let's try it. Let's try this thing that I'm doing and, and see what it looks like when you perform it. Um, in terms of the paying forward, Undersigned is, is operating on a... a Another test, in a way, which is two-part. Uh, one is that the way that I'm acknowledging your risk for undersigned, because again, this is very much like you are going to come and this is going to be a piece formed by you in response to a circumstance. Uh, that's a risk, man. You're going to come, you know, when it's it will be performing in New York in October. Uh, you're going to have to come to Brooklyn. That's a risk, man. If you live in any other borough, if you live in just a different part of Brooklyn, that's a huge undertaking. Um, and it's your money, which of course, uh, in all times and this time especially, is not nothing. And so I really wanted to meet people on that risk. And so the way that piece works is you're asked to make a down payment and then a portion of your down payment is in an envelope at the venue with your name on it. And the idea is when this experience is done, I'm going to give you that envelope. And if you feel that you got more than what you paid for, you can put money in. And if you feel you got less than what you paid for, you can take money out. Because I'm betting you won't. That's my gamble. And then the part two of that is, uh, for now, Undersign has actually already been performing 
uh, in New York and Philadelphia and bopping around. Um, it, it made some very sneaky appearances lately, uh, both in Edinburgh and Amsterdam. Um, and it, uh, the way it's operating is once you experience it, uh, you are invited to invite one person and then that person can also take part. Uh, I, I'm really excited by this idea of what does it mean to be personally invited to something by someone you know? What does it mean to to ask yourself after you experience something? Like, who is the person I would give this to? What does it mean to pass a piece from one person to another? Um, and so that's a model that I've, I've been playing with over the course of the summer, and it's a, a model that I, I look forward to experiencing. At the same time, I, I have a deep concern about accessibility, and I, I know that um, if a piece is passed from person to person uh, in any community, and particularly in the immersive community, uh, it has a high chance of ending up just in the hands of a, a certain kind of people who all know each other and who are all having the same conversation. And so I'm trying to find this balance between moments like the Philadelphia Fringe, where I can open things up and uh, let more people come in, kind of open open the, the door and, and see who wants to come in. And then once those people are in to ask, and who do you want to bring into this room? Who do you want to invite to this encounter, to this experience, um, and to to give you again some kind of stake in the future of the piece? You know, it is uh, like to the library, although it is in person. Which, gosh, did I forget how many production issues there are of being in person? Um, <laughs> but you know, despite being in person, it's very small, and and you know, I'm, I, I perform between like seven and eight of these in a day if I have a very full day, uh, and so that means that. One of the things that was exciting to me as a creator with our library was this understanding that, oh gosh, you really don't need to pack the Brooklyn Opera House with a thousand people, right? Like you you can you can have a, a piece that operates for a very small number of people at a time. Um, and then there are tools that I can use, adding more facilitators, adding more performers to expand the accessibility of it. But there's, there's also this interest in the idea that something can sort of uh, pop up here, pop up there. Um, I think earlier when we were talking, I used the, the strange example of being like a strange mushroom that just grows in unexpected places. And, and really leaning into being lean and being nimble, uh, which is a very exciting production size for me to be at. And I, I think that a, an open call that I'm always looking for is who are the other artists who are so brilliantly utilizing this small, lean production model? Um, and where are they popping up? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm so desperate to meet them and learn from them. But at the same time, I'm such a hermit who lives inside my work and inside my apartment and a few other places. And so uh, I, who am so curious about who is is making surprising work in unexpected corners uh, also don't get out much so absolutely uh this uh, to anyone who is listening get at me you know like message me tell me what you're doing because i'm i'm so interested in this scale of work for what it makes possible artistically for what it makes per possible um experientially for a participant something deeply personal and intimate and and responsive and individual um and for what it makes possible logistically financially uh professionally you know that that this is this is a scale i i would love to see organizations thinking about how they can introduce things at this scale into their season you know larger groups what does it mean to um fill all the niches in our ecosystem 
right? And I, I think that I'm I'm interested in making, I, I continue to try and make works that do that, but I am challenging myself to make those works more more and more so with other people and with brilliant people like Jessica and, and my other collaborators that I'm uh, accumulating like super friends and uh, to, to make that work uh, in a way that it can scale and that it can live in multiple different settings and, and can be as large as feeling like a full-scale production or as small as feeling like a house call. You know, uh, what does it mean for, for work that can do that? And how will that continue to exist in the world? Uh, and I've got these, these experiments that I'm trying in, in terms of how people are invited to work and in terms of how they're paying for the work. And, and those are meant to be the start of a conversation uh, and it is the great luxury of my life professionally that I get to f- see what happens. Well, it's very exciting that you're, you've got these runs coming uh, currently going on. You've got more runs coming up. And I do think, uh, particularly because you're, you're adding new collaborators and, and you're, you're moving the capacity just beyond your own person, that there's a real chance to see, uh, to see these works pop up in a, in a few more festival settings. Unique, we got a roll right now, but just so everyone knows, uh, the links for the shows will be in the show notes. Uh, so keep an eye out for opportunities to catch both Undersigned, Telelibrary, and Fair Trade in the not-too-distant future. Thank you so much for being on the show this week. Thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure to be here and having the conversation. Well, we've talked about it more than a little bit here on the show, but now we're going all out. The Dig, the Denver Immersive Gathering, is coming up this November, just six weeks away on November 4th through 6th. 2020 as we're recording this and today on the show we have david thomas one of the co-founders of immersive denver and producer on the dig he's here with us to break down the event schedule and tell us what's on tap for this next great gathering of the immersive creative community oh boy oh boy hey noah (laughs) thanks for having me on Thanks for for taking point on this and for leading the way on on this over the the many months we've been talking about this uh, behind the scenes. Before we get down into the nitty gritty of the schedule, uh, which will be linked in the show notes so that everybody knows, um, I wondered if we could just sort of start with the question: Why Denver? Why why is this happening in Denver this time out? Yeah, I can only imagine people wonder. I mean, you know, first of all, Denver is uniquely situated the midpoint between Tokyo and London, so it's just a natural center of everything. But, but I mean, seriously, I mean, Denver's a, not a not a giant market, but um, I think that uh, you know, when you look at what's going on, the notable things like theater of the mind and and Meow Wolf, I mean, maybe people are wondering. And I think that analogy of punching above your weight comes to mind, but I really think it's a dumb analogy. And 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 the more I think about it, I think that what it bothers me about the analogy is that it assumes that that greatness in a city is entirely a function of size. And so if you're LA or you're New York, you just have enough people that there's going to be somebody who's brilliant and doing something wonderful. And I think what's interesting about Denver is Denver's a decent sized city, but what Denver and the whole Colorado experience has been about is trying to build 
an environment and a, and a city that people want to be in, they want to create in, they want to be, uh, you know, to, to live in. And I, I just got to read you this. I think this is really fascinating. So the, the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce, right? These are the suits, right? These are the bankers and the real estate developers. They've got this thing they call civic DNA. And when I look at these values, inclusivity, collaboration, shared vision, leadership, responsibility, I think, well, yeah, that, that's a great platform for the arts to operate in too. So what I think to start with Denver is I think there's a lot more going on in Denver for its size than you might expect, because it's a part of the, the Colorado phenomenon, which is it's a cool place to live. The weather's not bad. We've got recreational activities, drugs and outdoor activities. You, you know, we're a relatively <laughs> um, open-minded state. You know, we decide to protect rights. And, and I mean, there's a lot of things that I think make Colorado and Denver pretty cool. So I have to say all that, not, not to be a booster for Denver, but to say, I think we've become an interesting test tube to answer this question that we're raising at the dig is like, how do you build an immersive city? And I don't think Denver has a blueprint by any means, but I think we're a great place to come and have that conversation. One of the things I love about Denver is that it's a city that actually backs its arts. Like the city puts mm -hmm. money into the art scene. Um, there's institutions there for it. You know, we, we've had Charlie Miller, who's also one of the organizers of this on the show before, uh, you know, talking about uh, the Denver Center for the Performing Arts and how it's made off-center its own pillar. Uh, that's the experimental and experiential wing and just that kind of that kind of way of, of seeing the world. The fact that there's a meow wolf there now. It was it was the first one, if memory serves, to be announced outside of Santa Fe. Also, Denver is sort of just up the road from Santa Fe. If you really want to drive up a mountain uh, for, for for about what is it, ten hours? Uh, some, oh, it's like about six eight? six and a half seven maybe. Six and a half hours. Oh, that's that's easier than getting from from L.A. to San Francisco. So that's exactly. so there's that relationship there too, right? So. There's, there's just a, there's a lot in the pot in Denver and it's been really fun uh, watching Colorado sort of, you know, wake up to you know, what it can be uh, beyond just being a cool place to be, but being a place that can sort of shape the way this movement is going. Um Absolutely. I also wanted to, to ask, you know, before we, again, before we get into the schedule, what's sort of the philosophy here behind the dig? Because this is, this is going to be different from some of the, you know, events that have come before, like the old immersive design summits of yore. Uh, this, is, this is a different construction. So what's the thinking here in terms of what this thing is? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably two parts to it. I mean, the first part is to answer the question, what the hell is going on in Denver? Why do they have a meow wolf? Uh, we also have Casa Bonita. It's not open right now, but we'll, that will be open again next year. Um, so, so we just want to show off Denver. So we want to show off the city. We want to show off some of the stuff that's happening in the city. We want to show off some of the creativity and some of the arts. And so we've got some big tentpole you know, events that we'll talk about, particularly Theater of the Mind and Meowth, but a lot of local art. And so you know, we want to just show off Colorado. We want to show off Denver because, I mean, you know, there's, there is some civic pride here. But I think the other piece of that was um, – we thought about it, and when we called it the Denver Immersing Gathering, we really were trying to focus on, look, um, we're kind of all still kind of shaking off the post-COVID thing. 
And we recognized people want to get together and talk. They want to network. They want to see each other. And so we thought, man, running all this programming and lots and lots of talks is can be really exciting. But we thought, what if we had a two and a half day gathering, a party, basically? So that then became reciprocal with the first thing. So now you can go to shows, you can go to some exhibits, you can see stuff, and that will give you more to talk about. So, you know, because we love our little catchphrases, we're saying, you know, fewer talks, more talking. And, and I think if this thing hits, if, if it goes off the way we hope it will, I think the Denver Immersive Gathering could be an important part of the, the national or even international immersive conference scene because it's not content heavy, because it's really about getting together, having a drink, arguing about what makes great art. I know I've been really looking forward to that remixing of the formula because you know after after doing a couple of the ids's like being being part of the teams putting those on and after planning out uh you know <laughs> in having the the pandemic uh lucy with the football uh, the last two summits and festivals the one thing that people would always come back to us with is that we would like cram too much into the schedule um, and they wanted more time for connecting with each other. Uh, but there's other folks who, who really love all the talks. So trying to find a way to like sort of strike the balance. And this feels like, you know, a pendulum swing in a different direction. Um, but just knowing for me, this, this goes back to like my initial conversations before the first IDS as someone who's covered a lot of big events, who, who's covered conventions, who's covered expos, who's, who's been to conferences that the most interesting stuff is always what happens, what they call the hallway conversations. The things are the right. connective tissues. So I'm just always thinking, how can we, you know, create an environment that has those, you know, tentpole mo moments, has the sticking points, has the things that gives everyone a chance to, to react to something. Uh, and, but then let there be enough space for people to connect around it. Um, so with that in mind, uh, why don't we why don't we start diving into the schedule itself, uh, and you can you can hear act here as our guide to it. Um, so yeah, we've got yeah we've got you know three days of this thing in total with with the heart of it being the Friday and the Saturday. Let's just kick us off on on Friday. What how's this breaking down? What's happening here? Well, I gotta, I'm gonna I'm gonna pre kick because. Um... Because we're starting on Friday and we have a lot of people coming in from out of town, we figure a lot of people are going to fly in Thursday night. So we're having an informal, free meet and greet Thursday night at this cool immersive bar. And it's totally optional. It's going to be actually open to the public. So people that either didn't want to buy tickets or just feel kind of immersive adjacent can come down, meet some folks. Um, so that's Thursday. And, and we'll, we'll announce that in detail. But I'm saying, hey, if you're coming to Denver, come early. Um, we'll have some fun Thursday night, but then you'll wake up on Friday. And, um, and, and again, I want to say this, um, some of these events are for everybody. Some of these events have limited attendance. So we're going through a, you know, a, a choose your own adventure kind of process later next week, starting next week. So, but this is what it is. So we're starting off with, um, camp Christmas, which is a big Santa inspired immersive, um, that's run by Lonnie hands-on and co-produced with the Denver center. Um, it's not up yet, but it's a big, big production and it's in production. So Lonnie is going to be doing um, backstage tour from 10 to 11 on Friday. So it's kind of a little pre-event and it's a great uh, 
opportunity to do producer to producer conversation, particularly for people that do big indoor, outdoor, kind of walkie through kinds of immersive things. And Lonnie is always great, a fun guy to, to hear from, Father Christmas himself. So that's kind of pre. Then 11.30, um, we're all gonna come downtown Denver. And this is where it really actually starts. So the Denver Center for the Forming Arts is a big arts complex right in the heart of Denver. And we're gonna be there and we're gonna start out with a, with a lunch and kind of a meet and greet, roll right into the opening event, which is going to be you know some, some announcements, some other things. But the big event is, of course, the design team behind Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, who, Noah, you can tell us all the wonderful things they're going to talk about. What's fun about this one is this is Anne Morrow Johnson, Michael Tara Garver, and Sarah Thatcher. They were all off in Orlando forever and a day making the Star Cruiser. Uh, and what they haven't done yet, because like Sarah uh, did a talk along with some of her other colleagues at the Game Developers Conference, where they sort of broke down the narrative flow uh, of, of the thing. But they've not talked about how it all came together, how all the disparate parts, all the disparate disciplines came together to create this one experience. Uh, and that, for me, is one of the most interesting things about immersive as an art form, is much like you know, opera was talked about once upon a time, opera just meaning work, Immersive is a is a total art form. Uh, it uses everything, um, and it mm-hmm. uses probably more of everything than any other art form so far, because it'll mix in game design, it'll mix in film, it'll mix in performance of of every type, and that's what they're going to talk about: is how do you take all of this stuff and take it from being this sort of smorgasbord and turn it into something that's orchestrated and, and holy. Oh, of course I may have just oversold it. And like maybe Sarah and Michael will listen and go like, what are you getting us into? But uh, that's been the intention all along with this talk is uh, to talk about bringing it all together, bringing the different forms together, because I think that's something that everyone who approaches immersive, um, you know, finds themselves having to do, uh, and hopefully it's what they're inspired to do is to to draw in uh, and start start answering the what if questions. What if we did this? What if we brought this in? And how do you make that work? So that's 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 what that talk's gonna be. Nothing nothing too big. It's not just gonna be uh, nothing too big. You know, and uh, yeah, it's not just gonna be an hour of of them answering. You know, like you know what is, what is this Easter egg question? It's not gonna be that. It's, it's it's all about process. Yeah, and, and I think this is also like completely authentic to our theme of fewer talks, not no talks, fewer talks and more talking. Because like we're kicking off this thing with this, you know, let's face it, it's a big, it's a big story in the immersive world, and we've got key people talking about it to a, a professional audience. So I'm psyched. We can talk about it with each other. We can talk about it with them. But it's going to get us going. So the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to wrap up the opening event, and then we're either going to take rides, shared rides if we want. We're going to walk. It's not a bad walk, about a 20-minute walk over to Meow Wolf's Convergence Station, um, right through the uh, University of Colorado Denver College campus, right to Meow Wolf. And um, we have access to the exhibit basically for the evening. Um, and so if you haven't been to Meow Wolf, here's your chance. If you have been to Meow Wolf, 
this will be fun. It's a chance to go with other immersive producers, a chance to go back and look. It's a chance to tag along with a, with a meow professional who might tell you some of the secrets or maybe talk a little bit about the tech. And so, again, we're going to carry that conversation straight into the immersive universe that is Meow Wolf. Um, you know, we'll probably get you a cocktail or two. Just make sure you don't get bored. And then I'm super excited about this. We're going to um, break out into what we're calling affinity dinners. And, and for lack of a, a better description, an affinity dinner is one or more people that are they're going to kind of propose a, a, a thought question for a group of people and a specific cuisine. So potentially I might do a dinner on running immersive events and tacos. And so I would get 10 people and we'll go get tacos and we'll talk about why you should never, ever try to run your own immersive conference. No, I'm just joking. I, it, it's wonderful. You should all do it. Then after those dinners, um, you know, uh, it's first Friday in Denver. So there's going to be a lot going on in Denver for people that want to, you know, partake of just Denver life. But we'll probably have a, a little after hours gathering. You know, we'll have an after hours gathering at a at a local watering hole for people that want to have, uh, you know, a nightcap. And so that's that's Friday. Um, and that's a lot. Anything you want to say about Friday? <laughs> it is. It, it is a lot. I mean, it, I think it's a very yeah, it's exciting a lot on its own. start. Yeah. So, so then Saturday, I mean, Saturday's our full day. So um, Saturday, we're back over at the Denver Performing Arts Complex. We're in a different theater um, for this next event, but starts with coffee. It's going to have to start with coffee. We'll get you a little coffee and some food. And then we're going to go into a theater in the round, and we're going to talk about this topic, building the immersive city. And again, not Denver. Not It's not a Denver-focused thing, although we'll try to bring Denver people that we have access to. But it is a fishbowl conversation where... Um, there's a rotating cast of people that are talking in the middle, and we're trying to just get more conversation stimulated. So I'm, I'm, I'm in my mind, this is, this is, this is half meet the press and half kind of a gladiatorial combat. It's, it needs to be very vivacious. And so um, I don't know. I, I know you've talked a lot about the importance of community conversations, and, and I think you were one of the inspirations for us wanting to do this. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what you hope to get out of it. Yeah, this is going to be interesting because this is a, a format that we haven't quite used before. One of the <laughs> one of the fun things we always did at IDS and that we were doing at, at Next Stage, uh, and and I want to point out, you know, like the the official what was it the the official uh, partnership setup here is that the, the the talks are are the Next Stage presents right like the the, the Star Cruiser talk mm-hmm. for instance. Uh, one of the things we always wanted to do, I, I forget my own branding all the time. It's just, it's, not, it's just something that's not deep in my soul. Um, one of the things that we did uh, back in the day was we had these things we called town halls. Um, and the town hall kind of emerged by accident because the very first IDS was also the a weekend where the bomb cyclone hit on the East Coast and just basically took out like a whole bunch of the airports and our midday talk, which was um, one of the producers, one of the creators of, of Then She Fell, could not, tried his damnedest to get to us mm-hmm. and it just wasn't happening. And so the night before at the speaker's dinner, um, where, where we were all, uh, sharing, uh, we were all eating lemonade, uh, uh, catering, uh, which was kind of hilarious because we, we accidentally wound up feeding people the same thing for, for like two days straight. Um, we, 
we just we're sort of having this conversation about like what are we going to do uh we've got this hole in the schedule what if we lined you all up and just let them fire questions off at you and somebody and i, and I can't remember who it was but it was somebody from the, the crew of speakers said what if we were the ones asking questions of the audience what if mm-hmm. we got them talking and that's where town hall was born so this this idea that when we're together as a community they're just because people might be up on a stage they're they're not the experts necessarily they we don't you know we're not saying like oh you know they're got to be the way you got to follow you must you must follow what they do like you know like the son of authoritarian thing but but really a matter of getting the dialogue going and that was born also out of my obsession with uh, salons, right? Like, cause I've been to so many conferences mm-hmm. and I've seen a lot of panels and like, sometimes a panel really works and you, you just want to watch those people keep talking. And sometimes you just wish that the people in the audience could have this discussion amongst themselves or have this discussion with those folks on the panel. And the fishbowl is going to be interesting because, because we're in the round, we're going to be able to have the dynamic of a, a few key invited guests who are there to start the conversation and get us going and, and to anchor it really. And then there'll be space for people to jump in and jump out. And the, the theme, which is what you proposed about building the immersive city. This is becoming so critically important. Um, you know, immersive is getting to be bigger and bigger business on the day we're recording. This is the day that today ticks the ticket company announced that they bought secret cinema for a hundred million dollars and that they're going wow, to yeah. open a permanent facility in LA as well as do more international expansion. This after of course, fever has, you know, has like a billion dollar valuation. Like this is increasingly big business and there's going to be, there's that side of it of making sure that cities are ready to deal with this big business, but there's also the, from the ground up stories, you know, one of the things that's got people really excited about uh, what was going on at recon, the reality escape convention was that they had the folks from the Malden gaming district. uh, One of whom has been here on the show come in and talk about how that's working out and, and that initiative there. And there's a real chance here for, cities to play a role as incubator and as a a place for entrepreneurs and for artists to find their voices, make sustainable careers for themselves. And, you know, in the case of something like secret cinema, if the goal is to, you know, be an art entrepreneur and sell your company off, you know, get a big payoff. Or if your goal is to have a really like long and fruitful, you know, career, that's something I'd love for us to see set up the infrastructure for as well. And, and sadly there's no way around expanding that without, you know, dealing with sort of the infrastructure and the bureaucratic stuff. And and the more we can demystify that and the more we can just get immersive people at the table and get stories of how, you know, folks from the immersive world have found a way to get a space for themselves at the table themselves that's going to help the folks who are coming up uh, to, to sort of understand that it's, it's not, it's not magic. It's just persistence and, and a bit of luck. 
Absolutely. And I think something else I'd point out about the fishbowl and to kind of clarify, there's, a, there's sort of this tap in ability for people from the audience to just have something to say to come down and tap out a speaker. And our goal then is to not have a panel of three or four people monopolize the conversation, but to have maybe as many as 10 or 15 people over the course of the discussion have a lot to say and a lot of questions, which then I think is also the networking piece of it. You may see someone that says something. Now you got a reason to track them down or maybe you're in a show with them for the rest of the day. You got something to talk about. Yeah. Speaking of the rest of the day, um, uh, yes. So when we're done, when we're done there, then it is it is it is the the potpourri of activity. Um, and this is, again, where we will be helping build these choose your own adventure schedules and, and surveys will go out to all the attendees in the next week or so to start doing that. But um, I, I'm going to I'm going to highlight some of these. Some I'm just going to mention because there's a lot. Um, but it's just going to start with, hey, Let's if you want to tour the, the Denver Center for Performing Arts, it's one of the largest, if not the largest, performing arts complexes in the United States. Lots and lots of theaters. If you're just interested, there'll be tours there. Um, for all of the, the people that have bought the, the VIP tickets or have did the Theater of the Mind add-on, we're going to get you out to the, we're going to get yourself out to the Theater of the Mind and, and enjoy the David Byrne show. And um, we have a special block of time. So give or take, you know, you'll be in an audience with other people from the dig, which will be a lot of fun. Um, we've got a really cool show. This is a kind of a remounting of a COVID show called Zoto. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's about uh, Denver's past with uh, the Asian Americans that have lived in Denver. And it's, it's deeply saturated in Japanese folklore. And basically we're gonna get to be a test audience. So it's gonna be a real great opportunity to not only see an early work, but to even potentially provide some, some feedback. Um, for our escape room fans, um, we are gonna have a bus that's gonna make a few runs because it's, it's a little far out of Denver to a place called Rabbit Hole Recreation Services. Now, if you're an escape room person, you've heard of Rabbit Hole because they've won all the awards. It's um, really, truly a, a magical place, super high-end sets, very well-designed puzzles, great tech, a fun, fun place. Um, if you're not a puzzle room person, man, an escape room person, I think it's worth getting up there to check because it really is, I, I think, you know, some puzzle rooms can be puzzle nerdy, I guess, which is fine, but this is very puzzle immersive. This is really bringing you into the story and, and giving you an active part. So um, rabbit hole is going to be open I'm, all weekend, but we're shipping people up Saturday. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this one, particularly the Saturday runs, uh, at least one of the runs, including time on the bus, is going to include uh, David Spira and uh, PG Law, who are the hosts of the Room Escape Artist podcast. Uh, they're going to be there uh, helping people, uh, you know, form teams and, and, and you know, talk it through and, and get their strategies on, but also giving a breakdown about how this stuff works. So like talking about the design. So this is going to be not just a chance to play, but a, a chance to explore the design philosophy, explore what makes this work. And this is a, a particular great treat because this is something that uh, David with his wife, Lisa, uh, you know, they go around uh, on, they, they set up escape room tours and they give these, these breakdowns to folks, you know, all over the country. I think they got one going like the next week in a different city and the chance to have a little taste of what they do uh, as part of the dig is really exciting. And like you mentioned, uh, David, 
the rabbit hole will be open like all weekend for us. So if you can't, you're trying to get something else in and you can't make it out, you will be able to get out to rabbit hole. But I really think people should be looking at this one in particular, uh, particularly if, you know, escape rooms are something that, and this is something I want to kind of suggest to everyone who's planning their schedules or thinking about coming out. This is a great chance where if, if you really think like X is your thing and you've never done Y, maybe try Y this time out. Like something I've always wanted to do is get as much cross-pollinization going, get folks who are theater kids checking out the escape room stuff, the escape room st- folks checking out the VR, the VR folks checking out the immersive theater. By by having folks in the different disciplines examine each other's work, particularly if they've never done it before, they'll start to see how this stuff interrelates. So this one's really great, and, and I'm personally excited to, to get my hands on on some of what Rabbit Hole's got going on. Yeah, and big thanks to, to Rabbit Hole Rec for offering their, their place up to the communities. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, absolutely incredible. And thanks to thanks to the folks at Morty for for covering uh, having the Room Escape artist folks come out. The folks at the Morty app. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for that. Um, so, so you know the the, the, the cavalcade of, of of immersive continues. Um, Denver has a really beautiful cabaret in a very historic building right in the middle of downtown. And unfortunately, it, we weren't able to schedule any performances there. But they're going to open it up so you can see the space and talk about cabaret. So if, if cabaret is your, your, your thing, I mean, we're, we're setting up a kind of a little mini meetup for cabaret folks to talk about whatever cabaret people do. I think eat fire and take off their clothes. At least that's what I think they do. Um, there's also <laughs> a, a really lovely little jewel box immersive experience called Cheeky Dreams by Prismagic. Um, that's going to be available. Um, it's a very poetic little space, and I think it's totally worth the, the time to get out there. Um, and then, of course, we have a wonderful partnership with the Denver Film Festival, who's making their um, XRVR gallery available to us on Saturday, plus a few limited tickets to some of their immersive shows that they're putting on. So there'll be more of that announced as the Film Fest gets their stuff worked out. So again, everything from cabaret to VR, to escape rooms, to you know more traditional immersive theater, it's all going to be there. But wait, there's more, right? Oh, you got room for more? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, we got room. I was about to ask. You know, we we've talked a lot. Of, we've talked to escape rooms, talked to VR, we've talked installation art. Like, I'm um, where where's the, where's the performance side of this? I mean, there's theater of the mind, but like, isn't there? And there's supposed to be like yeah, a little, you bet. little mini festival going on here. What do you got? There is, yeah. So so we have a landing zone um, all day long at Nonplus Ultra Sports Castle. Sports Castle is a crazy place. It was built as a as a four-story uh, car dealership. It was run as a sporting goods store for uh, years and years. Now it's a giant empty space that the dig will take over. So we'll have a, a crashing zone, a landing zone there. But that's also going to house the dig pop-up festival. So this is like more bite-sized tastes of different kinds of art and entertainment out of Denver. So real quick, here's what we got cooking. Um, we've got a, the Museum of AI is doing a, a, an interactive uh, cooking show with AI, but it's maybe more than meets the eye. Um, so there'll be a cool 20-minute theatrical experience. Um, uh, the analog radio art is a cool installation uh, of that's authentic to Denver history and playing a lot of old Denver Denver radio programs and advertisers. There's an interactive component. You'll have to check that out. Um, 
Another thing I'm really looking forward to is Julie Rada is doing something called porch sitting. Um, not to give too much away, but there'll be a porch swing and a performer and you go sit on the swing and have a little conversation, a one-on-one, -on -one, a show that's just a one-on-one. -on -one. It'll be fun. Um, Taste the Rainbow, the surrealist ice cream shop. Um, I've been told the less I say about it, the better. You just need to stop by and try some ice cream. Um, James Lopez is going to do the final seance. It's a, it's a show he's done for a, a few runs in Denver, and it's a, it's a shortened version of a, of a classic seance with a, you know, a nice narrative twist. Um, there's probably going to be some other things in the pop-up festival as we work on it, but um, there'll be plenty of things going on during the, the festival block and into sometimes into the party, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I would be remiss if I forgot to mention one other thing that's a part of the quote-unquote festival block, and that's the, uh, the, the, the DIG unconference. So for people that just can't stand to not have a chance to either stand up and talk about something or sit and listen to someone stand up and talk, um, we're making a space where people can come either after they've seen shows or after they're tired of seeing stuff, or if they just want to come talk, that's going to be available too. And it's going to be kind of tangential to the pop-up fest, but also at the sports castle. And for those who don't know the unconference format, it's not just a total free for all, but it is a, uh, it's a, got a design principle of self-organization. So when people show up for a round of the unconference, they will be able to propose a topic that they would like to lead a conversation on. This is not about giving a presentation, but leading a conversation on a topic with everyone in the group. And then people will be able to pick which of those topics they want to go into. And the ones that no one wants to do don't happen. And everyone can gather around and talk. And we've got a couple of people who are very keen to have conversations uh, with folks, and they're going to be seated into the unconference. So it's going to be It'd be a really unique opportunity to get some one-on-one -on -one time with some some heavy hitters uh, in the field uh, that you wouldn't necessarily get otherwise in a non-formal setting. So this is exciting to me. We years and years ago, the very first event uh, No Pro ever did was an unconference uh, here in LA, and some of those some of those uh, relationships uh, have lasted to this day. Some of the folks who are at that un who I met at that unconference are coming to the dig. That's how uh, powerful the format can be. So when you look at all of that, I mean, it's, you know, we've been together for Friday, we've been together Saturday morning, then we cast you out into Denver. And, and, and if it seems like too much, it's too much. No, no one's going to see it all. It's just not possible. So there's going to be lots of FOMO and there's going to be lots of reason to come back together and share and talk. And so um, we'll all get to the sports castle around six o'clock on Saturday night and Nonplus Ultra is helping us throw what we're lovingly calling the big dig. Um, it's it's a party and, and you know, uh, there'll be food, there'll be drinks um, and there will be immersive surprises. Let's just say that because I mean, you know, it'll be a fun party and um, we're gonna invite some other people from the community to make sure it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's lively. And we'll stay at the sports castle, you know, really until um, we, we have to leave. And then when we have to leave, we'll, if anyone's still standing, we'll go somewhere else. Um, but the, the, the goal of the, of the big dig is really just a chance to be like, I don't know, let your hair down. Cause you know, we're such a tight, tight, you know, tightly wound community, but just a chance to debrief, have cocktail, you know, not have to go look for people, you know, just enjoy a, a little bit of food and some drinks and, and, and probably, I don't know, maybe with enough drinks, people will dance. 
good go. Um, and there's still there's still a little stuff happening on Sunday, right? Like it's not it's not a hard shutdown. Yeah, we didn't want to have that tearful goodbye in the in the streets, you know, of Denver at two a.m. So we did, we decided to go ahead and have a, a, a basically a, a little wrap up on Sunday, and so we're back out to where the theater of the mind is. It's a it's kind of in the northeast corner of Denver, not too far from downtown. And what's really lovely is, first of all, we're going to have backstage tours of theater of the mind, and I'm super excited about this because without giving away much about the theater of the mind. It's a very elaborate production, and there's a lot of technology. A lot goes into making their clockwork waterfall model work. And um, thanks to Charlie Miller, um, the, the the production team that has run Theater of the Mind is going to be there. And we're hoping to be able to flavor the tours. So there could be a performer tour. There could be a tech tour. There could be a producer tour. So you can kind of pick your flavor and kind of see what it, it looks like to put together, um, you know, a big high profile, you know, immersive theater piece. And so that'll be fun. Plus, we're going to have some food trucks and some space and we're calling it the hangover breakfast. And if you know what a hangover breakfast is, it's just food that you eat because you've been up late the night before. And then we'll have a fond <laughs> farewell and send everybody on their way. And if all goes well, Noah, everyone will love mm -hmm. Denver. They will just think Denver's lovely and wonderful and everyone will have new best friends and then maybe we'll do it again next year. Well, I've been looking to, forward to it for a very long time now and I think it's going to be a fair amount of fun. And the good news is, is that while the VIP tickets have all sold out, there's still about two to three score standard tickets uh, that you can get your hands on right now. And yes, the VIPs came with a Theater of the Mind ticket, but if you're looking to see Theater of the Mind as part of it, we have a way for you to do that as well. And it's now, right now, now that the schedule is out there uh, and we're just, you know, days away from releasing the survey, which is what we're going to use to schedule everyone, because there'll be competition to get the different things. Uh, not everyone will get to go to everything. And so we have a way of figuring that out. Uh, and that's how what's going into the survey. So this this next week is a really great time to take a good hard look at uh, the details uh, that we've laid out for you here and decide whether or not the dig is for you. Uh, and there's, there's other things that are going to be happening. There's some, there's some uh, interesting networking layers that are being built in. There's a, a, a lot of chances to connect with folks inside. Like I said, that's that why we're building this the way we're building it. And I can tell you right now that there are people coming from all over North America, uh, some, some really, really interesting folks. And I think we've got some, uh, plans to like help people connect before they even hit the dig. We've got some digital plans on the networking side of things. Um, and just, just, it's, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. And if I could just, you know, kind of pin one more thing is, you know, one thing that makes Denver interesting as a Western city is it still has this kind of radical sense of cooperation. I, I don't know, maybe we're just not big enough to be ugly to each other, but we have been able to do the dig through really remarkable partnerships. Um, the city of Denver through their arts and venues branch have has supported this. Meow Wolf has been a big supporter. Nonplus Ultra has been a big supporter. The Denver Center for Performing Arts has been a big supporter. Rabbit Hole, 
Uh, and those are just some of the major supporters. There, there will be more. I, I really would say that it's just a remarkable opportunity to see what a city can do when it decides it just wants to show off. So um, if you don't like us afterward, what can we say? We're trying to put our best foot forward. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure everyone's going to. Just, just a little self-deprecating humor. I don't want you to think we're in a big head because, you know, we don't want a big head. Uh, you, you, the city, the city and the community have a lot, a lot to be, to be proud of. So, all right. Well, David, I will see you in six weeks. I will talk to you a lot before then. Uh, but uh, thanks for jumping on the show this week and uh, breaking this down for everybody. My pleasure. Lots and lots of fun. Once again, I want to thank Unique and I want to thank David for being our guests on the show. I want to thank Andrew again for the hookup with Boto and with the meetup that's coming up. Of course, show notes have the links for all of this. And yes, as we mentioned, uh, as I mentioned, <laughs> for those of you who didn't listen to the whole eight minutes uh, rundown and the reading of the names, uh, wanted to take a moment to talk about the news, a news bit that I mentioned during the dig, which is uh, just yesterday on Thursday on uh, September 22nd, uh, word hit that uh, Today Ticks, which is uh, the app that sells uh, Broadway tickets, very big deal, was a was a big disruptor in that industry uh, back when it first showed up, that they have bought Secret Cinema, the producers of Secret Cinema. Uh, <laughs> I must know what Secret Cinema is. If you don't, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, they Okay, I'll explain it. So they, they do immersive events uh, originally it was based around like individual movies. They would do a, a, a screening at the end of the event. And so they do this elaborate prologue, uh, fully functional. They, they burst on the scene when uh, it made a big splash when they did Back to the Future and they built Hill Valley. And uh, everyone was like, oh, my God, like they built they built the town. Uh, and then they did Star Wars and they've worked with Disney now. They got Secret Cinema. Uh, they've got Secret Cinema. Yes, they are Secret Cinema. They've got Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm seeing the, the Everything Immersive listing. Secret Cinema presents Guardian of the Galaxy. So they got Guardians of the Galaxy in London right now. They did Arcane here in L.A. Uh, last year, which was very exciting for us because I hadn't gotten, well, for me anyway, I hadn't gotten to see it, uh, any of the Secret Cinemas yet because I don't get to go out to London. Uh, it was, uh, and, and they do really amazing work and they, they've been acquired for a hundred million dollars. This is the biggest acquisition we've had in our field. Um, It's maybe the only acquisition we've had in our field, uh, but it's also not small. Remember that Fever got uh, valued at a billion dollars. Fever, who are themselves a, a, a ticketing app, uh, and a series of uh, culture blogs and a production house uh, and a marketer um, and a dessert topping and a floor. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Saturday Night Live, old joke. But they do. Fever does everything. Uh, and they got valued at a billion dollars uh, during a, a private raise uh, 
that included money coming in from Goldman Sachs. But here it comes today tickets paying $100 million for Secret Cinema, who have been producing work for, uh, I think, more than the past decade uh, in London and abroad. They've announced a international expansion. I'll, I'll put the, the, sh- the link in the show notes uh, to the article. But they announced an international expansion and the intent to have a permanent uh, base of operations in Los Angeles, like have a, a, a facility, uh, like a, a public-facing facility is how I'm reading between the lines. I do not know if they have found their venue here in L.A. Uh, I, I I hope they have. Uh, Los Angeles can be very tricky to work with. Uh, this is an incredible opportunity for L.A. Uh, also, you know, it's this is this is something we will probably see a bit more of this idea of uh, the companies uh, who are producing this kind of work getting acquired. Um, no one say other than punch drunk uh has sort of the brand recognition of secret cinema um as much as say we love third rail projects uh they don't operate at the scale of uh, either of those two companies uh i don't anticipate we're gonna see punch drunk gets acquired by like that doesn't feel like that's the destiny uh for punch drunk ever uh maybe uh we could always get blindsided um but Secret Cinema did sort of feel like it, it was kind of maybe moving in this direction because of the commercial nature of its projects. What does this mean uh, for, uh, you know, everyone else? Um, well, again, it does mean that if you are, as, as Ricky Briganti said, if you're a creative entrepreneur in this space and you've got an eye towards, you know, this kind of exit, the trail has been blazed at this point. Uh, you can you can see a pathway. Uh, you can you can see a whole a whole route here, uh, at least to the point of exit. Um, we are not quite yet at the point where immersive is super saturated, uh, not by far, and we do see that there's a lot of interest in it in the pre-existing themed entertainment space, right? Like sort of the natural home for immersive entertainment uh, from a business standpoint is the themed entertainment universe. Uh, we see this with a lot of immersive stuff going into places like Ayapa, which is the big trade show in themed. Of course, Galactic Star Cruiser is the single biggest example in terms of a, a premium ticket, you know, fully laden immersive experience that was built, you know, using the labor of a lot of folks from our creative community, like specifically the, the no proscenium creative community. Um, and then in, in insofar as that it's our creative community, right? It's the people, the people around us and in orbit and on our board. Um, and so we see that we see things like ghost town alive at knots. We see nightfall happening at old Tucson. We see uh, Cedar fair, uh, bringing up, um, uh, the, the tricks, the tricks or treats, activations that are happening at Great America and also at Valley Forge. Again, pulling upon members of our creative community, folks whose voices you've heard on this show. Uh, You see, of course, all the activations that happen at Comic-Con and this, this notion that things are, oh, and let's be clear, the Stranger Things experience that Fever produced, which first appeared in San Francisco and New York and in London, and now is going on tour and can be popping up other other places. 
this this is happening. It's really happening. Um, it's as we've kind of mentioned on the show before this year, it's a little bit of cognitive dissonance, at least here in LA where we're having a quiet spooky season in terms of the indie scene, but a good chunk of that's because everyone's off working and making money uh, and, and breaking this stuff out to more people. And, and look, you know, we're not necessarily going to have a one-to-one translation, something like arcane, which I enjoyed thoroughly is a different beast from something like what the speakeasy society does or, or what E3W productions does or what third rail projects does that high end intimate immersive work, which comes usually with a, 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 you know, a premium price on it. uh, That's not, that's that's a got a different structure to it than something like Arcane, which has a lot more game mechanics to it, and you find finding people kind of queuing up, and again, it starts to feel a little bit more like themed entertainment. Uh, just went out with a colleague last night to Not Scary Farm, and you can start to see there's they're they're trying to bring in interactivity and more immersive flourishes to the mazes and and. and Halloween haunt mazes, haunted houses, like they're already fully in our world. Uh, they're the scaled up version of it. But as they try and bring in uh, these sort of show points and, and put more story in and, and create some choke points in the flow of the the maze, you can see literally if you like go onto YouTube and check out um Check out the video for Grimoire, which is the new Knots uh, flow this year, uh, the new maze, one of the two new mazes. And I got to say, having watched that video after going through the maze, the video was clearly a lot closer to the intent that they had for how that maze was going to work for people than what we actually experienced, which was just being shoved through, shoved through, shoved through, shoved through, shoved through, right? Like no storytelling, uh, no time, get more bodies through. So as the field matures, as themed entertainment, you know, uh, takes an interest here, finding that balance between scale, how to get a lot of people through something and intimacy, how to give people a really great experience that's going to be more and more uh, the tension point. And honestly, uh, we're going to see probably a lot more stuff. This is big, big, big scale, push people through for some time uh, until we really get to the point where um, folks start to understand the value of the, the higher end stuff and the, the, the premium that can be put on that. I I don't love the idea of everything getting more and more expensive. Um, that is unfortunately the nature of the capitalist system that we live in. That's that's how this game works. Uh, if you really want to change that game, we got to get down into some deeper root causes. Again, that's not this show. It could be if everyone wanted it to be. Um, I'll go there. But I think we're going to see more big scale stuff. I think we're going to see more of that. And my great hope is that as we see that, we will see creatives and pockets of the audience really wanting more depth out of their experiences and supporting 
uh, co- creative communities that are offshoots of these bigger events. Um, that's the dynamic. That's the dynamic that I've been looking forward to for a long time. And as we see that, we'll see some of those companies kind of grow, stretch their legs, get some IP under their belt, um, get some offers to work with other IP, and then lo and behold, the next secret cinema emerges. Lo and behold, the next punch drunk emerges, and maybe someone decides to acquire them as well. I don't expect a bunch of acquisitions in the next year, two years from now, three years from now, particularly as some folks get back in the game. Uh, We could see some of that action going on. We could also see some companies becoming super sustainable on their own and not looking to get acquired um, and developing brand identities and developing followings all on their own uh, and, and lasting for decades. Um, And that's something that I really do hope to see uh, both in local spaces uh, in, in the various regions and at, at a kind of a national and international scale. It's all very exciting. You've heard my voice a lot today. I hope you're going to have a good weekend. And uh, this thing is not getting out until after 2 o'clock on a Friday. So what do you know? It's like 1.39 as I'm finishing up the rant. So I'm going to leave you with that. Let's do the credits. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. Siobhan's got some shows coming up. Check them out. And this podcast is uh, is my fault. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I will see you at the show. 